your employees are your teammates and a team has to have a common goal. And it can't just be the goal of the coach, right? It has to be everybody's common goal. They have to know the why. The more that you can empower and equip your team to brainstorm with you, to share their voice, to have input, the more ownership they're going to take of the goals that you're trying to reach. As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I have the distinct pleasure today to be with you in the studio with Jen Kleiber, a book author, trainer, educational consultant, and with Pressing Onward, also the, the host of the Teaching by Reaching podcast and the Faith-Filled Entrepreneur podcast. Jen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we are excited to have you and excited to introduce our audience to you and the work that you do. For those that are longtime listeners, you know that episode two, we talked a lot about the power of education and workforce and the power of organizations supporting educational institutions and mentoring. We've talked a lot about a program called All Pro Dad that we support. We talked a lot about the power of teachers on leaders' lives and how many people have been profoundly impacted by the teachers in the workforce. And we also have found this, Jen, not just in our country, but in a variety of countries of leaders that we've interviewed. So many of them have talked about that one teacher. So the reason why I bring this up is that Jen focuses heavily in the education space and student-centered learning, cultural responsive teaching, and I'm certainly excited to unpack this with you of the work that you're doing and how you're elevating and lifting up the next generation leaders. So thank you for that work that you do. Absolutely. And thank you for acknowledging the importance of education and workforce working together. You know, that's such a, an important bridge that needs to be, be made. So that's great. Yeah, Jen, to us, it doesn't make sense why any organization isn't thinking about that at the forefront. We always say that every company is close to a school. Right. So, what a great place to give, to learn, to mentor, to give back, to create impact because all you're doing is building into the future workforce. You're investing into the children or grandchildren or nieces and nephews of your employees. And it's a great way to create engagement. But even better, it's the way for kids to have exposure to what their future could entail. So, can you share a little bit about the work you do with teachers? And click on a little bit of the diversity, equity, and design instruction. Talked a lot about marginalized and what that looks like. And I would love for you to kind of unpack that work 
for us here as we start off? Sure. So my company, Pressing Onward, focuses on equipping teachers to be culturally responsive teachers. And what this means is that they are reaching the students with a whole child approach, that they are understanding that kids are bringing different perspectives and different experiences to the table. And the more that the teachers can understand that, the better they can design their instruction and design their classrooms and even relate to the students and the families that they have sitting in their in their classroom. And so the whole goal of culturally responsive teaching is to move historically struggling students, to move marginalized students into that place of success. We never want to lower the expectation. We just want to provide additional supports to move those students up into success. And so I get to work with teachers to help them with strategies and understanding to be able to do that. And is there a specific training with the teachers to prepare them and equip them to work with elevating all students' success? Yeah. So we have a few different trainings and I have some courses and this is a mindset. And so part of the training is really understanding the need for culturally responsive teaching, the purpose of culturally responsive teaching, and kind of the key components of culturally responsive teaching. And then the second piece of that is in the implementation part. And, you know, one thing that that you're saying, what we call is building alliances. And that's really the foundational part of being culturally responsive and being culturally competent, which is another area that we work with teachers on. And so the first step of that is building alliances, building alliances with your students, building alliances with their families, and building alliances with your colleagues. But when this happens across cultures, sometimes there can be miscommunications, there can be misunderstandings, there's different perspectives, there's different experiences. And so when you understand that moving into a situation, the way that you respond is often and more informed. That's where you can really begin to build those alliances. And when we say building alliances, we mean reaching towards a common goal, being on the same team. It's not just a relationship, but it's moving in the same direction, you know, which I think really relates to what your podcast is about too. And just how important building alliances is in all situations when you're wanting to accomplish something. Yeah, it's critically important as we talk about this because we're helping leaders understand the full implications and opportunities that we all have within our places of work to not just help ourselves, but to help others, to help the communities that we're in to further impact, right? So what our hope is and why we're discussing this topic up front here is because I'm hoping there's some organizations and leaders on the call who go, you know what? Maybe 2021-22 school year, maybe 2022-2023 school year is our year to start leaning into the education and the future of our youth and investing in that. And I can tell you, teachers and administrations want nothing more than a company to knock on their door and say, how can we help? What do you need? Where can we serve, right? 
and there's pent up volunteerism. There's energy that employees have that's not been able to be very well utilized over the last year. And for the sake of our children and our nation and our world, we certainly hope that in the coming school year that schools are back and allowing volunteers and give back opportunities. So Jen, as you talk about this, because you also have a community called Faith-Filled Entrepreneurs that you lead, and you have the work you do in education. Why do you find, what led you to merging these two topics together? Okay. Do you mind if I go back one step to add something to what you were saying about organizations jumping into the schools? With culturally responsive teaching, we are very targeted in the students that we are working with. And the students that we are working with are the marginalized students that you talked about, the struggling students. And our our three, pressing onwards, three target students are English learners. So students who have come from another country and are, are learning English as a second language, students of color, and students living in generational poverty. And one of the things that is holding these kids back that shouldn't be is their lack of experience outside of the world that they're living in. And what they desperately need is to see people who have come from another country, who grew up in poverty. We need strong Black men and women who are business owners, who are in corporate, who are, have paved the way to come in and to schools where students don't get to see in their eyes people who look like them or who have had the same experiences as them and see what they've been able to do. And so if you have people on your podcast who fall into those categories where, again, across the nation, these students are, are not performing as well as they could be. And a lot of it is because of the school system and that's what we're trying to change. But if they have access to those schools and those students, I think that showing them life outside of their neighborhood, life outside of their school even, can be such a powerful tool to broadening the students' perspective as well. We want to broaden the teachers' perspectives. We want to broaden the perspectives of people in the workplace, but we also want to broaden the students' perspectives. And so I just wanted to to throw that out there. What a valuable resource. I mean, everybody can volunteer, right? People who look like you and me, we need to get out there. We need to be connecting as well. But if you have people on your podcast that can do that, I don't know that they understand the impact that they would have. We all have the opportunity to make a positive influence in our lives and for those lives around, right? And, you know, I grew up in the inner city or went to a school in the inner city, grew up right on the outskirts of that school. And and we talk often that there are some families that for generations have been in the same place. They've been in the same five block radius, right? Unless you've had exposure, you think that that's the only, you know, what you grow up in, what you're raised in is what you think is normal. It's part of our internal bias creation that we take the world around us and immediately create what feels most normal and most comfortable and safe. And what you're sharing is the exposure, right? How many times have we talked to someone that said, 
you know, when I attended this camp in high school, it opened my eyes to the possibilities. When I went on this foreign exchange trip, it opened my eyes to the possibilities. So companies, you leaders, you can help this topic and you can help students move further faster towards a different future than they ever thought possible. You know, how many people who travel internationally do you know that actually traveled internationally while they were young and that became normal to them and therefore they've taken on international assignments? So thank you for highlighting that, that those that find yourself in a privileged opportunity today because someone else took a chance, encouraged you, inspired you, this is a calling for you to give back to the schools that are around you. Let's talk a little bit and segue into the topic of leadership and entrepreneurialism because you're running your own company, but you've also stood up a community for other entrepreneurs who were on the path of self-employment or growing a business and expanding and bringing visions to life. How did these two topics merge together for you? Sure. So I had had my own business for just about three years and COVID hit. And like a lot of small businesses, we had to completely pivot because all of my income came from face-to-face trainings in schools and schools got shut down. And so we had a, a very hard pivot and God provided and we made it. But I just felt like there's got to be other people who are in my same boat. <laughs> and so to share experiences, to share strategies, to share ideas, and just to be a place of encouragement, I felt like would be really beneficial. Also, coming out of education and into the business world, I had so much to learn. I mean, there were questions that I didn't even know to ask until I messed up. And then I was like, oh, I should have done that first, right? And so I know that a lot of people who are solopreneurs or who are just getting started are really passionate about nutrition, are really passionate about writing a book or, you know, about whatever their, whatever their direction that their company is going, but they may not know the business side of it. And so I learned from other people, right? I learned from other experts, from podcasts, from courses, from a mentor, from talking to other people. And so I thought, what a great platform to have where we can throw out ideas and questions. Um, my goal is not to have a billion people on it because then it's not personal. I wanted a place where somebody could say, hey, I'm struggling with this. A, can you pray for me? Because it is the faith-filled entrepreneur. And B, do you have any ideas for it? And this isn't working. Can somebody look at it and give me their ideas on it? You know, you talk about leadership as being, it's serving. And so I have a wheelhouse here. You have a wheelhouse here. Somebody else has a wheelhouse here. And so when I have a question about hiring, you can chip, chime in and say, hey, here's some things I would consider for this. And it can be a place where we can help each other grow and encourage each other. And sometimes you just need to say, I'm so frustrated and I'm so tired. <laughs> Is anybody else in that same position? And so that's really where it came from, was just wanting 
a landing spot for people who were in similar situations as I was, but also a place where I could be really authentic myself, work in the public school. I can't share my faith openly, which is, I'm okay with that. I think we all share our faith and our actions and everything that we do. But with the faith-filled entrepreneur, that's the great thing about being an entrepreneur is that you can kind of do what you want, right? And so on this, I was like, I want this to be fully me. And I can't leave my faith out of that. And so I want to be able to speak openly about my faith. I want to be able to speak openly about struggles to give ideas and strategies that have helped me along the way and open the door for other people to give ideas and strategies back. We share resources. It's all borrowing and helping. And so anyways, that's where that came from. And you have touched on the topic of the challenges and struggles that entrepreneurs and leaders have, right? And I would say all of us have. So we just had an event for our membership community on this topic about the five things that your employees have on their mind but won't tell you. And one of those that has risen to the top is mental health, is you know the mm-hmm. ability to have people that you can trust, you know, or financial support, right? individuals to turn to and to express frustration to and not be judged. What have you seen in that community over the last year? What are some of the key topics that have risen to the top and any great solutions or brainstorming that you believe that our listeners would benefit from? Sure. So probably the most important thing to remember, I don't know if it's the most important, it's something that I have had to really be intentional about, is that running a business and meeting goals is a long game. It is not a short game. You're going to have little victories along the way, and you certainly want to celebrate those. We live in a culture right now where somebody told us that we can work real hard for a couple weeks and bam, it's done, right? Our, our goal is met. And that's just not the case. And when you're serving people, when you're growing, when you're scaling, it takes consistency and persistence in giving value again and again and again and again, right? Well, that causes burnout because when you're giving and giving and giving and you're not seeing the results that you think you should get, then that causes burnout. And so I think going into the right mindset as a leader, if you have a team and you guys are, again, you're building an alliance with them. These are our goals. This is what we want to hit. Think A, you have to be really careful about the goals that you're setting because if they're not attainable, then you're going to start getting burnout when they don't feel like they're being successful. I think celebrating the little wins, you know, having those as markers along the way is really important. But I think continuing to have that conversation that this is a long game, that if we're trying to grow our customer base, well, they have to trust us first. Well, you don't build trust overnight. So it might be giving value and giving value and giving value for a really long time before somebody bites, you know? And so you have to be okay with that. Another thing that I see as the problem, I'm a big fan of Michael Hyatt, and he talks about working in the desire zone. And the desire zone is where your skill and your passion meet. And that's where you're the most productive, right? That's why most of us 
who got into leadership, it's because we love a piece of what we're doing. We love that company. You love coaching leaders. I love coaching teachers. Like that's where our desires. And when we get full of a bunch of other things, for me, it's like designing things will bury me because I'm not good at it and I don't like it. And so when I used to have to design my trainings and design the handouts, I mean, it would take me hours and it would look very, very average and it was burying me. Like I hated doing that. So I have somebody now, thank God, who is wonderful at that. And that is her desire zone. And so I think a lot of it goes back to hiring, to making sure that you're hiring people that can kind of express that, what they love to do and where their skill level is. And then making sure that the job that you're hiring them for matches that. Because you want your team operating in their desire zone too. So that when things do get hard, when you are in it for the long haul, when everything doesn't work out perfectly, if they're doing what they love the majority of the time, obviously we all have jobs we have to do sometimes, but if they're doing what they love the majority of the time, they're going to stick with you. They're not going to get as burned out as quickly as possible. I've seen this a lot with teachers this past year. Teachers moved from teaching kids, which they loved, to operating technology, which was way out of a lot of teachers' wheelhouses. And it made teaching really hard and really awful for a lot of them. They weren't getting what they normally get back from the kids. And they were having to learn all of this, all of these new platforms There was all of this new paperwork. They had to take attendance differently. They had to grade differently, you know? And so it pulled them out of their desire zone and they were stuck here for, you know, eight hours a day all year. And you had a lot of teachers quit because they got burned out. And so I I think that that's, if you start to see your team losing it, (laughs) that, you know, figuring out, okay, what are what tasks are you doing that get you fired up? And what tasks are you doing that are draining you? And let's shift the balance a little bit here. That's awesome. And I, I would encourage all of us to be thinking about what Jen just described. What are those areas that we need to identify that we're clearly in our desire zone when? And, you know, we, some of us have the opportunity to say, well, if this is what I'm best at, and this is where I get my highest and best use for those around me in the world and myself, let's build a team around those skills. And specifically with entrepreneurs, Jen, so often, I don't know if you've heard this, this is something that an adage that's kind of followed me or haunted me for a long time. And it's the topic that usually the entrepreneur's greatest strength is the organization's greatest weakness, right? Because we don't think about the having other people lead that function, lead that thing that eventually we run out of time. So therefore, that greatest strength that we want to hold on to becomes the organization's thorn in the side, hole in the bucket, whatever you want to say, because we outstretch ourselves. Now, there are some things that might be my greatest strength and what I enjoy doing. And that's okay if everything else is going to go to other people. 
But if that's an entire function, specifically with family businesses and entrepreneurs in that space, that you find a lot of this happen in sales and business development, right? That nobody's ever successful but the patriarch or matriarch of the family in that function of sales because nobody else has been really given the opportunity, right? Which becomes an Achilles heel. It becomes a pain point that companies can't get over. And we see that when we're sophisticated, helping come in to sophisticate a company beyond the entrepreneur's leadership, founding leadership team or the family business, family members that are in certain key functions as executives, but really have no business leading. And you typically peel this onion back and find that this is the case. So, you know, what you're referencing, if we can verbalize them and have a safe place to talk about this, have a sounding board, as we call it in the talent magnet community, to just go to and share these things and express concerns and ask questions and kind of work through our future org chart and our future job descriptions as well, which it sounds like you've done in many cases of figuring out the areas that I just do not want to, one, you're probably not the best at it in the world, right? There's things I'm not the best at. There's things I'm not even good at that I've got to have other people on my team who are experts at it. Right. Yeah. I'll give you an an example from a company that I was training for before I branched out on my own company. I was doing the trainings. I loved training. I did want to learn a little bit more about the business. I had really good numbers in sales because I was doing the trainings. So I got to know the people who were the decision makers there and I was rebooking trainings left and right. So because of that, the owners of the company assumed that I would be good leading the sales team. No. (laughs) So I get put over these four other people whose main jobs are sales. They had a few other jobs like within the office. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I didn't know how to lead a sales team. And I really didn't know sales. I only knew when I went and did a training that I was rebooking a bunch of sales, right? So A, I hated what I was doing. B, I felt like a failure. I went from being really good at what I was doing to feeling now hurting the company because they pulled me out of doing some of these trainings to lead the the sales team and we producing and I didn't know how to make them produce because all I knew was the experience that I had, right? So that was just an example of, they were trying, right? They thought, oh, we need to get our sales up. She's got really high numbers with this. She's bringing in a lot of money. It makes sense for her to lead the sales team. Like I see their thinking on that, but it pulled me so far out of my desire zone and out of my skill level that I got burned out very quickly. And it, it hurt the company. It hurt the team. It was like, what's happening (laughs) kind of thing. And so that was just an example that I thought of in my own personal life, where in trying to move up and trying to do something better, you know, I got pulled out of, of that desire zone and, and it was not helpful. And so anyways, I just wanted to share that example of, I think what we do to b- try to be more efficient, you know, we do, but I think it's really important to make sure that our employees, that we know where our team members sit in their desire so- zone, what skills they have, 
and then before we just start moving things around. Yeah. It's a great example for all of us to think about that, right? Are there employees that once were, they were the energy givers that all of a sudden you feel like they are either an energy drain or they're just not happy anymore. It's a great topic of what you just brought up for us to think about. And then go have this discussion with that team member. Be so bold in your next one-to-one to have the dialogue of, here's something I referenced. I listened to this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute and Jen Kleiber, founder of Pressing Onward and the Faith Field Entrepreneur podcast host, brought up this topic. And are you experiencing this too? Boy, what a powerful opportunity that you have, we all have with our team to have that type of conversation. Jen, so as we wrap up here, any last parting words for those who have joined us today? What encouragement can you leave us with? Well, I would go back to that term that we talked about at the beginning of building alliances. Your employees are your teammates. And a team has to have a common goal. And it can't just be the goal of the coach, right? It has to be everybody's common goal. They have to know the why. The more that you can empower and equip your team to brainstorm with you, to share their voice, to have input, the more ownership they're going to take of the goals that you're trying to reach. And so the more then that you can have that conversation that Mike, you were just talking about, that you can, okay, what do you need? What do you need in order to, to hit this goal? You know, how can I support you? And so the more transparency with that, the more of an alliance you're going to have, the more your team's going to be able to weather the storms that are going to come of growing a business. And so I would really just focus back on that. If you feel like, you know what, I don't even know where my team members are. They're kind of all over the place. That may be a good place to come back and, and build that foundation of, is it the boss versus the employees? Or is it our team is together and we have a servant leader leading us? And that is kind of the foundational piece, I think, of success anywhere is making sure that you're all on the same page with that and that your people feel valued on the journey. That's awesome. And again, I'm so thankful how topics align without being, you know, I'd like to think maybe not being orchestrated all the time like that. But when you start talking about the power of having the conversation, right? And how much of an opportunity is it for a leader to go to a team member and ask those questions, right? And have this dialogue and open up the opportunity for people to feel safe and trusted to begin that conversation. So not just can we as organizations and leaders have an alliance with education institutions around your workplace and supporting your workforce, children, grandchildren, niece, nephews, neighbors, et cetera, but we need to be those alliances at work as well. Jen, thank you so much for your leadership, for your inspiration, for your energy, for the goodness that you bring to this world. And I'm so glad that our paths have crossed and now our audience has been introduced to you as well. Oh, well, thank you so much. I, I so admire and respect the work that you guys are doing at the Talent Magnet Institute and your work with All Pro Dads. 
I'm so inspired by both of that, by both of those directions that you have. And so I'm also thankful that our paths have have crossed because I think we've added a lot of value to each other. Well, again, thank you everyone for joining us. We look forward to our next conversation. I hope you do listen, share this with a friend and colleague, and we look forward to uh, the next episode and connecting with you inside of our. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.